As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guest today is Stephen Hewitt. Stephen is a global partner at ICG, an international consultancy. His focus is on the science of customers and their needs. I've worked with Stephen for several years. He's a true expert with thought-provoking ideas, including insights that help his customers to outperform their competitors. What I like about Stephen's perspectives on customers is that his views evolve and deepen over time. That is, they're not a fad, but a growing and enduring body of knowledge about what is true about how customers think and what is not. Today, Stephen and I are going to talk about an evolution in thinking. Stephen's thinking, actually. The emerging concept of a customer enabling organization. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. It's really great to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. So let's sort of start at the beginning. You, you've advised organizations all over the world in multiple sectors over a number of years, but, but how did this get started? How did it all start? Yeah, I often ask myself that question. Um, I, <laughs> I guess it started because um, I spent about 14 years working in retail here in the UK, and I was really lucky. I worked for um, really an icon, I think, of customer experience in the UK, um, the John Lewis Partnership. And I did many roles with them from the shop floor dealing with, you know, actual customers all the way through to their initial dot-com uh, offerings. And I ran their kind of customer insight department for a while and their customer database systems. And <clears throat> I think that um, that was the beginning of, of really taking a perspective on the customer. And, and the other great thing about that organization was that they kept everything really simple. Um, first principles, and that stayed with me really all the way through. And from there, I was lucky enough to go on and um, join a well-known consulting organisation in the City of London. And as you say, Jerry, I, I worked, uh, you know, globally, uh, China, uh, the US, um, Europe, um, for many large brands that I'm sure a lot of your listeners would recognise um, in all sorts of sectors, from from retail, which is obviously where I came from, but um, also insurance, uh, local and central government, um, banking, and a whole host of other things, including media. Yeah, and I, I understand you're a pilot as well. So there's all kinds of, uh, you know, underlying capabilities inside Stephen Hewitt. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a previous career. So uh, I did that before. Yeah, and again, actually, there there is an echo there because um, when I I learned to fly was when I was taught to fly. Again, I was taught it was all about 
doing things from first principles. So a few simple things equipped you pretty well for any situation. Uh, and I've tried to bring that to the business side of things as well. So I did some uh, a little bit background or actually pulled some stuff out that I had from before since we've been around the bend a few times together. Uh, and I wanted to read an extract from uh, one of the forwards from one of your books. The book's called Customers Are the Agenda. And uh, some comments from one of your customers. And so I quote, Stephen taught me that the way any organization sees a customer needs to be, in effect, a bloodline that runs throughout the entire organization. Of course, organizations have administrative things to do as well as working directly with customers, but they can only succeed if their entire focus is around what the customer needs. So the way I read this, the key word in that, in that quote is focus. So how does a typical organization, or one that wants to be successful at least, get focused? Sure, and, uh, it's a brilliant question to start with. So um, I, I think the first thing to say is that, that that simple bloodline is a lot easier to, to achieve than a lot of people think because um, it, let me just give you this as a starting point. So for any interaction with any organization or, or business, typically the customer only needs a handful of things to be right, a handful of needs to be right. And if you are an organization that continuously thinks about the customer, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a customer-centric organization, I'll, I'll talk more about that later, but if you think about the customer and focus on them, then and really understand that small number of needs and maybe some of their wants or emerging needs, um, then it's not that difficult to create the whole process around it in terms of service, experience, uh, how you measure it, you know, the whole, the whole shebang really, um, is very straightforward. And the great thing about that is it's so straightforward and simple. You can get the board to think like that, but you can also get everybody in between the board and the front line, whether that's a digital front line or a physical real front line to, to think in that way. Therefore you have a standard language that runs through the business and a standard way of thinking. What I found intriguing about some of the stuff that we've done is the, those emerging needs that you referred to. And in fact, you know, some sometimes customers don't even know that they exist and they kind of come out in conversation. Can, can you talk a little bit about sort of how do we understand where business is going and how, how we might be able to take advantage of that? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I guess, first of all, we have to start with um, what you might call core needs or basic needs. So there, the thing about core needs is that if you do them really well, um, you know, if you're a, if you're an airline and you get somebody to where they want to go on time, um, well, sometimes that's the cause for celebration, but actually that's, that should just be the basics. That's the thing that you need to do. And if you continuously do that over a period of time, pretty quickly, the customer loses sight of them. They, they're not important because you don't get it wrong. They are important, of course. Uh, because if you do get it wrong, the customer notices. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do every day really well that the customer will not notice if you get it right. So that's the first thing to be aware of. And then, uh, but you can't just do that because if, if you just do that, then quite frankly, you're an also run. Um, you know, you, you will not 
necessarily survive or expand going into the future because there will be competitors doing something similar. So to mark yourself out, to be noticed by the customer, you not only have to get those basic things right, those basic needs, you also need to identify the literally two or three things that make a difference to the customer that they will turn around and say, well, that was really good. Um, they'll remember it that it'll differentiate you between uh, you and your competitors. And uh, that's the way that the business becomes marked out in terms of customer excellence. But I'll just say it again, because it's really important. You need those things, but you also need the core basics to be done right on a day in, week out, month in, year out basis, however frequently the customer interacts with you. Seems to me from observation um, that a lot of companies, or just broadly organizations, survive anyway. They don't actually, uh, or they may profess to follow these kind of principles, but maybe they don't do them as well as they could. But they seem to be around for, for you know, perhaps longer than they should be. <laughs> what, yeah, what, yeah. Why is that? Well, here's the thing. So, um, you know, the vast majority of organizations that are around for a while, by default, probably get those basics right and occasionally uh, they may stumble across some of the extra things the the emerging needs or the wants whichever you want to call them um, that actually mark them out but in all the work i've done um, often it's the case that they find it difficult to define or quantify what those core things are that they do every day um, and if they're only doing those things, as I said earlier, that's that's not enough to propel you into the future. You have to be constantly listening, and I mean listening, to what customers are telling you about what you're doing today and probably even more importantly, what you should be doing tomorrow, which a lot of businesses call innovation. It's uh, That's a kind of grand phrase or grand word for it. It's just about what I need next. And the customer's in the great part, will tell you what those things are. Um, there is another set of stuff, which is what I would call genuine innovation, which the customers won't necessarily tell you about, but you can derive from understanding today's needs, tomorrow's emerging ones, and then, you know, with the foresight of a business that's at that cutting edge and listening, create genuine things that customers aren't expecting that then rapidly become uh, an emerging need or a want, and that's how that how a business drives itself forward. And this is all done effectively by listening, analyzing, and understanding those core cool things. So, in our conversations we've had over the last few months, we've we've talked about uh, customer centricity and the fact that it's been sort of central to conversations about the customer experience and customer satisfaction for some time. But you uh, you have some different perspectives on on customer centricity. And as we mentioned, uh, our principle of, of customer enablement. Uh, tell me some more about that. Yeah, sure, Jerry. I, I, so for some time now, I've been, uh, you know, I'm immersed in this business. I talk to all sorts of people. I talk to a lot of um, boards, C-suite, CEOs. And if I'm completely frank, um, the the kind of theoretical customer-centric, customer-centricity piece that was talked about a lot in the last uh, probably 25 years now um, has not really delivered. There, there have been some huge transformation programs where organizations have tried to uh, put a customer at the center of their business. And with very few exceptions, um, they don't work. 
And one of the things that I started thinking about, having listening to my own customers and, and taking my own advice, is, you know, well, well, why is that? And it touches on a point that you made earlier that um, actually – you know, successful businesses probably do intuitively, let's use that phrase or that word, get the needs right most of the time, maybe 80% of the time. Um, but what we really need is a business that's getting it right, you know, 95% of the time, adding, um, you know, 15% of performance uh, and uh, an additional engagement, an additional set of revenue that are coming out of customers. And that's not about to achieve that is not about throwing the business up in the air and starting again, you know, creating new process, buying new technology, changing the way people work, uh, you know, all the things that typically disrupt business as usual to get that incremental uh, additional experience for customers and therefore additional profits is actually much simpler. It's about um, an iterative process that takes small steps to identify, the, first of all, the needs that you're not meeting and solving those, and then adding that small number of emerging needs or wants to the customer's experience that results in this very positive engagement. And uh, although you might categorize that as customer-centered thinking, I think a better way of talking about it is um, becoming a customer-enabled organization. So an organization that constantly thinks about what it's doing for the customer, which allows the customer to choose them first each time. And that's a different way of thinking to what most people interpret customer centricity to be. So, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that that different way of thinking, talking about being enabled, letting the customer enable you, um, I think is a way that businesses can take more productive steps and get a better customer experience and also get a better outcome for them because, you know, we're, we're all in business either for our shareholders or for, you know, governments or whatever it is um, to actually uh, create a value exchange. So something where both sides, the customer and the organization, walk away with value from any interaction. So um, I've also taken um... – the definition that uh, that we've chatted about before, uh, and I've written it down here, and I thought it might make sense just to repeat it here. It sort of pulls all the principles that we've just talked about, and I think it's really quite succinct. So a, a customer-enabled uh, organization is an organization that actively seeks permission from its customers to engage in value exchange, where both parties feel that the experience was positive. So it's about understanding what they need, but understanding that there are sort of two sides to a transaction. And I, and I think one of the things that I've noted in, uh, in organizations, uh, uh, many organizations actually, is perhaps a, a lack of understanding uh, on one side or the other or both of the, the nature of what a, what a business is. You know, there's value. That's, and if, and if, um, if the business is, entire, is giving away value constantly, then perhaps the business isn't going to survive. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think, again, there's a lot of people who interpret um, being customer-centric as, you know, giving the giving all customers everything they say they want. And I'm using the word want rather than need there very deliberately. And that can never work. It has to be a value exchange. Um, it has to be, uh, you know, both sides need to get value from that, that process. Um, I mentioned the fact that I – 
you know, spent 14 years working for John Lewis as a UK retailer. Um, and there's an interesting misconception, certainly in the UK, about that business because it has this um, great reputation for customer experience. And, um, you know, it's, the thought is that it was set up for the benefit of the customers. In fact, the, the founder, uh, Speed and Lewis, set the business up, you know, well over 100 years ago for the benefit of the partners, the people who actually worked in the business, everybody who works in the business as a partner. Um, so the business was set up for their benefit. And he, you know, clearly recognized that providing great customer experience was a great way to deliver that benefit to the partners. And I think that view is often forgotten and uh, i think it's it's really important and it also means that um when you're looking at investment to create a better experience it's far more attractive um uh, using that definition that you used earlier it's far more attractive to take incremental steps where you're solving um you know problems that means that needs aren't met and you're engaging in development that delivers those additional wants it's better for everybody um it's less disruptive for the customer because the business is not being thrown up in the air while it reorganizes it or attempts to reorganize itself around the customer um if that does happen, often it never happens because it takes too long. The management team move on. It's too expensive. It doesn't quick, uh, return quickly enough the investment. Um, uh, so those are the things that go wrong. As where if you take this customer-enabled route where we're incrementally improving things, um, the customer just sees the improvement. They don't see the disruption. The return on investment case is far easier to create. And often, quite frankly, the, the senior management team who always have to drive these things are around to see the results. So as you know, most senior management teams average tenure is three to four years these days. Um, so they actually see the results and they can talk about it and add it, quite frankly, to their CV. And if that means that they engage in a better, creating a better experience for the customer, then you know, I'm all for that. I think that's the way we need to go. One of the interesting questions that um, is interesting to ponder is: Do the customers really want to be customer or be central to your business? You know, like what 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 is their goal? What are their needs and wants? And how does that affect the way you operate? Uh, so, if you use a financial services example, you know, with all the technology and the fintechs and the big banks and little banks and all sorts of different flavors, uh, customers actually are operating where they have multiple relationships. And so they don't want to be central to your business. They want to be in a situation where, as you talk about, they, they're encouraged to routinely engage with you because you're adding value and, and there's a value exchange. So, so how do you think about that? Like, how do you translate people's view of of how they're operating and and this sort of you know, embedded thinking that they have to, you know, customers have to be the center of all into a sort of operating principles for an organization. Yeah, again, it's a kind of mindset thing, isn't it? Because, um, you know, businesses arrogantly think that customers want to be at the center of their particular business. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and said, gosh, I really need to be at the center of American Airlines or uh, this bank or that bank. Um, customers don't do that. As you've said, they, you know, they have multiple relationships. Um, they have a life. They spend a relatively small percentage of their time dealing with any particular brand or any single interaction. And most of the time, most customers want to be able to choose the right business for them. 
So again, this is a this is just a different way of thinking about it, you know, a more realistic way saying, you know, I understand that you have a busy life. Um, you're going to interact with us for the next, you know, 20 minutes on a transaction, whether it's online or face to face, you know, what are the three to five things that I need to do for you? And how can I make your day better by adding in a couple of things that you um, want or, or you didn't expect? And if I do that every single time consistently, then you will choose to choose me. You will enable me as a customer organization. And that's got nothing to do with you being at the center of my physical business or digital business. Um, the only slight caveat to that is it, you know, it does mean that you need to be present. The customer needs to be present in your thoughts, but not necessarily uh, in a way that means you have to turn the business upside down. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts, improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L or email Jerry at jerry.purcell at innovation360group.com. So let's talk about some examples of, uh, of organizations, you know, either uh, in, in the financial services world or in retail or whatever that uh, sort of have got it figured out or, or perhaps are have been behaving in this customer-enabled way already. Yeah, I think um, so. There are multiple examples. I, I, let me just try and pick out two or three for you. And they're, and they're examples of these small steps that make things better for the customer and let the customer choose you. So, uh, you know, in the first place, it's a retail example, a major retailer here in the UK who, uh, you know, listening to what customers said to them. They sell toys. They sell a brand of toys that comes in different colors. It was a sort of um, below five toy. Uh, a toy for below fives and um what they did when they initially sold that toy is they put it all on one stock number so uh when you went to order it it was on one stock number guess what when it was delivered or you picked it up in branch it was a random lottery about which color you got now if any of you've got five-year-olds you know the color is really important um and it was like that for three years and they listened and the customer said look you know <laughs> It's a real pain for me. This is a basic need you're meeting. There were five colors. They created five stock numbers. It was easy as that. Huge number of their complaints went away. Um, there were lots of happy parents and even more happy five-year-olds. Very simple to do. A lot less, lot less tantrums in the middle of the aisle, a lot, huh? <laughs> a lot less tantrums. A lot, a lot less, um, no, that's not the color I want. Go back and get me the other one. So the cost went down, and that was just one very small example of a, a whole range of over 120 different small things that they did that incrementally improved the customer experience. Um, in, in an insurance business, um, 
another really small example of a, of a small step which made a huge difference and was entirely came about through just listening was an insurance business that um, insured domestic appliances so you'd ring up that company and say my washing machine's broken down i have it insured can i book an engineer to come and fix it and um what we discovered was that um, the, the original kind of call center script just, you know, immediately moved through a process that asked for your your um, uh, your policy number. And what we discovered from the feedback was, again, actually, my washing machine is just broken down. I've got three kids to get to school. They don't have a they don't have a uniform. They don't have a clean uniform. Um, could you not just take a few seconds to empathize with me? Because I'm having a mini crisis. Um, you know, you may not think it's a crisis, but I think it's a crisis. And um, in that example, just by adding literally 10 second pause to the script, their NPS scores went up by five points just on that one particular area. And um, it just gave people a, a feeling that that business empathized with that mini crisis they were having. It cost them an extra 10 seconds on calls. And the positive feedback and the NPS improvement was overwhelming. Um, so, again, very simple thing. There were a number of other things, um, same sort of thing. And there was a, an, an example in the travel industry um, with booking holidays where the reverse happened in that um, they actually took 45 seconds out of a transaction in terms of interaction with a, with a call agent, which that 45 seconds was full of stuff that was only interesting to the business and not interesting to the customer. Um, so, you know, it was a need. There was no need from the customer's point of view. The need was entirely the businesses, and it was determined that actually that was a complete waste of time. So it shortened the call, made it cheaper, made it easier, made it faster, and increased the amount of call hours available. Um, but, again, lots of other things were done, but these are just examples of, what I would call a customer-enabled organization because they were doing things that let the customer, gave the customer permission to choose them. They made it easy to be choosed as, as a great option for that particular service when there were other competitors around. Yeah, and, and I think it's a really good example, you know, during, during the, uh, the COVID situation as to how innovations started to take place that were perhaps, you know, at least presented as being impossible before, like, like closing my mortgage without actually going to the lawyer's office. Like it just wasn't done, like signing something electronically. Like I'm, I'm closing a house in, uh, actually in a, in a week or so and everything's virtual, everything. And, you know, it, if I could get virtual packing up my house, I wouldn't even have to go to the house. <laughs> Apparently, I can't do that, so I have to do that. But but the closing of the house, the signing of the documents, the movement of the money, all to, all electronically, and you know pre pre COVID, that was not the case. And and Jerry, how many? Uh, these are great examples, and um, I've got numerous ones here as well. But what, how many of those involve tearing down the organization and rebuilding it? Right. None, right? right? None of them. Yeah. So these were these were mindset barriers that were overcome with a few process tweaks. They didn't buy brand new technology systems, maybe a bit of rerouting on their phone systems, which probably could already do it. So that's that in essence is the difference between 
uh, an organization that believes it has to tear everything down and start again to become customer centric and put the customer at the center of everything they do. And an organization that understands that just being customer enabled is quicker, faster, easier, um, cheaper to achieve. Um, and the pandemic it, it created so many of those examples. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think that um, the change in thinking does is it, it builds trust with your customers. And in effect, what it does is allow you to transform your business over time because they're much more open. They're, you know, they're, there are, in effect, portfolios of change, some long-term, some short-term that can take place over time. But it doesn't mean you have to rip everything to shreds and start from scratch. And when you're doing that changing, you're doing it based on much more clarity around what these needs and wants are, which I think is really the underlying point of customer enablement, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's um, there's a very important lesson there from for the value exchange within the business, which is, you know, be careful where you set the bar. Set the bar where the customer wants it, not where you think it should be, because that may come back to bite you. So, uh, you know, uh, again, we had a retail uh, client in the UK who uh, created a um, fast track same day delivery service and uh, partly, quite frankly, in response to Amazon. Um, and that service is, is loved by their customers. Um, it ticks a lot of the boxes we've just been talking about. However, um, what's happened is that that service is is no longer a nice to have or a want or an emerging need because it's been running for a couple of years now. Um, their customers now expect it. It's become a cool need. They've retrained their customers to expect that level of service, which is, is good, but they were expecting it to give them a commercial advantage for a bit longer than it really has. Um, so now they've created a new need. Um, a basic need because they've delivered it really well. They've done a great job on it. And if they now don't get it right, then, then that's an issue. So incremental careful steps against a strategy that understands where you need to be in the marketplace from a customer experience point of view, um, I think is also critical. So let's, let's talk to the, to the listeners, uh, for a moment and, and provide, um, that you actually provide some insight into the future or sort of some advice you might give them going forward around customers? Um, well, I, I think the first thing to do is, is is make sure you have those basics covered. So an exercise I often do with boards is uh, I sit them down and I give them a, a sticky note and I tell them to write down the five most important needs that their business needs to deliver from a customer perspective. And if all of them write down the same thing, or the same five in the right in the same order, and I thank them very much and leave, and say so they don't need to do very much. Uh, to date, that's never happened. So, um, creating simple clarity about these are the things we need to deliver on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, um, from the board down to the front line, whether it's digital or physical, is the first thing you need to do. Uh, because if you don't get the basics right, um, customers won't be around long enough to wait for your innovation. Um, and you can do that by listening. So the second thing is to listen carefully to the feedback that you're probably collecting in hundreds of thousands and you're just looking at the scores and you're not listening to what people say. Um, there's a piece of theory we use all the while called saturation theory, and it's very, very simple statistical uh, piece. It basically says that for any given data set, when you stop 
hearing or seeing new things, you've reached saturation. Very easy to understand. Saturation in customer feedback occurs very quickly within, you know, a few hundred bits of feedback. Um, sometimes a, a few thousand if it's a very large organization. Um, you don't need huge quantities to understand what those needs and emerging needs are. And they don't come from the scores or from preset questions. They come from what the customer is saying to you. Um, so that's the next thing I would say is uh, try and define what you think those things are. Listen to what the customers are saying um, so that you can marry up what you think with what the customers are saying. Um, and then, of course, try and create some sort of baseline. So are we delivering those things? What do we need to change? Can we go from 80% to 95% delivery on meeting customers' core needs? Then that leaves the decks clear to start listening to those wants. And the interesting thing about wants is, of course, they come across the whole marketplace. So the idea that um, customer service is um, – in silos, you know, it's uh, this is the level for insurance. This is the level for retail. This is the level for media. That's gone. Internet has swept that away. So there's a huge crossover. And this is back to this point that the customer is sitting at the center of a, a whirlwind of brands and, and organizations they want to deal with. So you need to better understand the difference between what's expected in terms of core needs, so pace, effort, these things are becoming um, the same thing across many different sectors. Uh, and then when you understand that, you can then truly uh, innovate, go to the wants. You know, what's the one or two things that will make my business visible to the customer where they simply say, well, that was good, wasn't it? That was really good. That was great value. That was really quick. That was easy to do. Again, these things are really simple, and you should be able to define all of that and start measuring all of that. Yeah, and I'd like to, and I'd like to do it again. Basically, is what you're looking for, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it was so easy. It was so yeah. quick. It was so great value yeah. that I'd like to do it again. And just as importantly as we talked about earlier, we, the organization, would like you to do it again because right. we made money on it. Right. That's good. That's a good summary. So, so thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, Thought-provoking as usual. We could uh, we could go on to a whole other episode, I think, from this. Uh, I could tell you some sad stories about uh, customer experience. Um, anyway, so 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 that wraps up this episode. And as always, I look forward to hearing thoughts from you, our listeners, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. If you like the show, tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or to comment on LinkedIn. Go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and listen to more shows. Stay safe and see you next week. And thank you very much for chatting with me, Stephen. It was a great conversation. Great pleasure as always, Jerry. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.